As we've transitioned in the last part of this series here, we're going to be kind of landing the plane, so to speak. But what we're, what we're looking at here is this, this series we've been in called Alternate Reality. And we've been working our way through this. And as we begin to dissect this, looking at the reality of, of the world that we live in versus the world that we are from, beginning to see the distinction between the two. Because as we are here, we are dealing with all sorts of different stuff and things like that. The question comes into, what does that have to do with us? What is yours and I's responsibility? What do we do as, as the, the mouthpiece of Christ, if you will? He said that, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Well, what does that mean? It means that we should be mimicking what Jesus did, what Jesus said. As the Father sent me, we see that everything that Jesus did came from the Father, that He has now sent us. And as we've been getting through this, we've been working this through piece by piece, and we began to look at, at the, the, the Last Supper, if you will, but how He said, with fervent desire, I have, I've wanted to eat this Passover with you. And we begin to look at that and break that down, and we realize that this is a, a peace meal, a peace offering, if you will. It, it's one of these things where, where now God, in, in the bodily form of Jesus, is bringing this peace meal, and now we are going to have peace with God. Foreign concept. Do you realize outside of Adam and Eve that no human being up until that moment had ever had peace with God? Because you can't have peace with God and necessitate another sacrifice the next day, the next year. You can't. You only have peace when all requirements have been met and you no longer have to bring something to appease Him, if you will. I know that's terrible language to use, but you know what I mean. So when we look at this, we're like, okay, so if this is a peace offering and we have peace with God, that's great. We learned that. That has to do with this reality that we that we walk in but what about also the fact that we have access to God as we've learned as we've looked at these temple uh, the different things of the temple is that they didn't have access to God one guy had access to God that was it and this all has to do with these covenants as we begin to break these down let me show you these again we're not going to go through these exhaustively but there's several different covenants and all of them matter in fact, it's very difficult to understand the layout of Scripture itself if you don't understand covenants. Because what we know is that God works through covenants. And we know that people that were underneath an old covenant that we know is not as good as the one that we're in, we're very confident in that covenant because God always does what He says He's going to do. Every single time. He always does it. There was never a doubt in their mind. If, and those under the Mosaic Covenant, if they were faithful to the precepts of that covenant, they knew God would respond in kind. On the same hand, if they were not faithful to the precepts of that covenant, they knew God would respond in kind. They spent a lot of time in Babylon, as an example. And what we've learned here is that the central theme behind that old covenant that we aren't a part of is the priesthood. So if we look at the temple here, let's go ahead and, and pull up these pictures. Again, we're not going to spend a ton of time. The high priest had a job to do. Every year, on the Day of Atonement, he would have to make a sacrifice for himself, and then he would make a sacrifice for the nation. And then he would enter in through the veil. Okay? Go ahead to the next picture. He would go in here and make this, uh, the, the atoning work done. But when Jesus died, what happened? The veil tore. Why does that matter? Well, it's not like they've got another one and back up. I bet that sucker was back-ordered for months, right? Probably the same pain that we're all feeling right now. Anybody order anything lately? It's awful. 
And so when that tore, what does that mean? Any person can now walk through that veil. Remember, it is believed that there was no opening. Because if there was an opening, a doorway, the tear would be pretty easy. Sort of. This thing was the width of a man's hand. It was very thick. But now any person that wanted to could walk in, into there. And why do we know that that would matter? Because the presence of God was not there. The presence of God had moved. And as we saw that you and I became the temple. Now let's go to the next picture here. So this priestly job here inside of this temple had to do all around the sacrifices. There were a bunch of priests. They all had a job to do. Go ahead to the next one. <coughs> Excuse me. We see the Shekinah glory here for the tabernacle. And if you go to the last one, <coughs> you see the Shekinah glory there inside of the temple. And now where is the Shekinah glory today? Still in the temple, right? Yeah, still in the temple. Temple shifted, right? It's got a new address. It moves around a lot. A lot. I was talking to Terry. Terry can't sit still. I don't sit still. That temple moves a lot. Okay? It's always doing something. And so if that's true, then what we've got to understand is what does that mean about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at some of these verses. We read these last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Whose body is it? It's God's body, right? Whose spirit is it? It's God's spirit. It belongs to Him. So if it belongs to Him, how do we know? Because He's got the keys of the house, right? He's inside of there. Well, let's go on. Colossians chapter 1. Now, I now rejoice <coughs> in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the Word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery? Christ in you, <coughs> the hope of glory. God didn't just walk around getting into people. Think about that for a moment. We would see many times in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody, but in the same way we see where he would lift. He would come upon them for a certain time or a certain purpose, and they would lift. But this mystery that Paul, now remember, Paul wasn't taught this by any man. What did Paul do? He went into the desert for three years and was taught by Jesus. He then spent 15 days with Peter. I know it's weird. Read Galatians, I think it's Galatians 1. Three years, God has revealed this mystery. When it's a mystery, that means that those who came before were not prepared for it. So this is new information. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Where's that spirit at? <coughs> it's in you. What does that spirit do? Well, it gives life to our spirit. This body is dying, right? Right? Right. The older you get, the riskier a sneeze is. Right? Y'all know. Right, Derek? 
Derek threw his back out sneezing not too long ago, right? He's almost 30 now. He's, it's just time is ticking away, baby. It's happening. But what does it say? That spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And that spirit will give life to this mortal body. So there should be an expectation there. But where is that spirit? It's in us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the whole family in heaven and earth His name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Where is Christ? He's in us. Are you guys picking up on a theme? This isn't hard to find. No different than when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. You and I are endued with power from on high. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not the same thing, with a job to do. As the Father has sent me, I sent you. Let's look at another one. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For I through the law died to the law, uh, to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where's Christ? Living in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, last one I promise. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves uh, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? All the things we just read. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This treasure is in earthen vessels. But the reason we don't see it, in my opinion, is because we have not been hard-pressed. We have not been perplexed, persecuted. We have not faced any of that. We have been not liked. I was not liked growing up. I got really good at it then. I'm okay with that. We have not faced the persecution where our only choice is to rely upon God. If you wake up with a headache, you can take a Tylenol. If you break your leg, you can go to the hospital. If you get cancer, you can get treatment. But there are parts of the world where there is no other option. And options become obstacles when you have them so readily available. Do you realize that in this country we do not worry about money, yet we worry about money. We have more things available to us today, and yet we see depression at an all-time high. Somebody is going to have to explain that one to me. 
We've been on this kick with this self-love uh, thing going out for many years now where you just got to love yourself and you do you and you take care of you and all of that. And yet anxiety and depression and all this other stuff is at an all-time high. Why is that? We don't love ourselves. This body is dying. We are here to serve others. You see, all of this matters. But it starts with what? Christ in us. The hope of glory. So that's great. Okay, fine. What does this mean for us? And how do we do it? What has He equipped us with? You see, as we begin to get into this aspect of it, I want to go back to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. We're talking about the new covenant. This matters. Because just like the old covenants, whatever was in them was promised by God. So whatever is in this new covenant should matter to you because it is our Bill of Rights. It is what God has said He is going to do. He has provided. He has made a way. So we're going to look at this. Let's go back here to verse 24. Verse 24, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generation, but has now been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when we talk about this being a mystery, it's not a mystery to us. We've been on the hindsight aspect of this for many years. But this mystery means it was something that was unexpected. You'll see several of those in the New Testament. As an example, I can assure you that in Acts chapter 2, they were not being prepared to pray in tongues. Right? We see no example of that in the Old Testament that I can think of, and you can correct me if you can think of one, but no specific example where you say, oh yeah, that's obviously what that was. So they're sitting around, and not only were they probably surprised, but certainly those guys around them were a little surprised. And so when, is, when you look at this, it's like, okay, this mystery means that the prophets didn't foresee it, and then the, the Jews waiting for their Messiah were not expecting it. So what does this mean for us? Well, we've got to go back to the beginning. If we're talking about the new covenant, when you become born again, or saved, or whatever vernacular you want to use, you have now entered into a covenant relationship with God. That means something. So let's go back to the beginning. Jeremiah chapter 31. There's two parts of this where you see this idea of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And their sins I will remember no more. Now, one thing you've got to keep in mind is the timing of this writing. The timing of the prophecy. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of the Babylonian exile. So they're in Babylon. So things aren't going well. Why are they in Babylon? They're in Babylon because they didn't keep the land covenants. Every seventh year they're supposed to let the land rest. They didn't do it. So they were in exile for 70 years. So... As Jeremiah is giving a reassurance, I guess, if you will, in this prophecy, God says that I am going to make a new covenant. Not like which covenant? 
the one in which he led them by the hand out of Egypt. So that means it is the Mosaic Covenant. It's not like that one. Okay, what's the clear distinction here? Well, one has a bunch of do's and don'ts. One is if you accept it, you agree to do all of these things, and you agree not to do all of these things. And if you break it, there will be consequences, like you'll be in exile for many years. Okay? This one is different and unique for various reasons that we will get into another time. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we also see another aspect of this as you begin to transition to this, this new covenant, if you will. We're going to start in verse 16. I want to read you just a little bit of context. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of, or when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and deeds. To me... Their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for the idols, <coughs> for their idols which they, uh, for which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. And when they said of them, these are the people of the Lord and yet they have gone out of his land, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now watch verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now there's a lot here. But the first thing you've got to understand is to get an idea of the context. Ezekiel was a prophet during the Babylonian exile. The same time. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were the two main prophets that were going on during this time. Ezekiel happened to be in Babylon. Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. So as he's giving this, this word of the Lord, if you will... That he is now laying this out here, what's going to happen. And there's a lot here that we're not going to get into. We're going to focus on, on the last part of that verse. But as you can see, why were they there? Why did God bring them here? Was it God's fault or was it their fault? You ever have that conversation with your child? This doesn't happen in my house, but this happens in other people's houses. Where your kid does something dumb that they know is wrong. And no amount of logic or rationality is going through their mind because what you're doing is punishing them. It's not their fault. And they didn't do it. And how can you be so mean? And yada, yada, yada. Y'all are looking at me cross-eyed. Surely, I'm not alone. And you're sitting here thinking to yourself like, why do you not understand this? If you just do what I said, you won't face the negative consequences. But when you do the bad things, the negative consequences, that's not hard. Kids don't get it. Adults don't get it. Israel didn't get it. It's not complicated. If they simply kept his covenant, had not broken it, 
then it would have been fine. But there's something in there that he said that I think is very powerful and often overlooked. You have profaned my name among the nations. Well, why is that a problem and how do they do it? He says, well, don't take the Lord's name in vain. It wasn't that they were going around turning his name into a cuss word. They were taking the name of God and profaning it among the nations through their behavior and the way that they acted. It's the only way you can really profane God's name. God's name in a cuss word is still bad, just so you know. So he's saying that I will do what? I will sanctify my great name that you profane, but I'm going to fix it. Well, how's he going to fix it? Well, I'm going to take you from among the nations. I'm going to gather you out of all countries, and I'm going to bring you back into your land. Then I will sprinkle you with clean water. That's interesting. Because who would normally do that? It would be the priest. There would be some sort of a mikvah. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Who would normally do that? It would be the priest. You see, God had set up this, this system in which man would be interacting on behalf of God here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Who's doing it? God. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Who's doing it? God. And then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute and you will keep my judgments and do them. Because unlike the other one, they couldn't do that. So as we begin to look at this, we're starting to see what we have already read. Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the spirit of God and the indwelling of the spirit. If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 1, where this all starts, we're going to look at the very last part of of verse 28, and we're going to go to chapter 2, because again, I want you to see something. Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of the exile. So verse 28 of chapter 1 says, So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, this is chapter 2 now, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me. So where did the Holy Spirit go? Went in him. And set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now, this is a bad situation for Ezekiel. Do you know why? Because when God would oftentimes send a prophet to a rebellious nation, how did they handle the news? They were very happy to kill the prophet. Very happy to. No problem. Verse 4, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, he was now speaking on behalf of God. Thus says the Lord God. There was no message that followed that. Now, whether they hear or whether they refuse, they will know that a prophet was there. They had heard from God. Does that mean that God can speak and we can refuse to listen? Yep, sure does. Verse 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Now, why does he need to tell him that? Don't be afraid of them. Because they like to kill the guys who come and do Ezekiel's job. None of us are volunteering for this role, just so you know. Verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, 
there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it out before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So, we see here all of this set up going to what we had just read. This is quite a thing. And Ezekiel will go to them, and he will prophesy, and guess what they will do? They will ignore. Okay? People do not want to hear truth. People want to hear what's comfortable. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, there's a lack of reverence for the things of God today in the church culture, just as much as there is in the worldly culture. Should there be? No. Are we, as the body of Christ, set apart the way we should be? No. Are we a lot more like the nation of Israel is? Yes. Big C church, y'all. I'm going both ways to kiss you right backwards. Big C. Big C. Other way. Big C. Yeah. So now let's go back. Ezekiel chapter 33. Let's jump ahead a little bit. Verse 30. We're going to read out a lot of Ezekiel today. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30 says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Now let's pause for a minute. Did you notice what he called them? They sit before you as my people. See, that had never changed. Their rebellious heart, their disobedience to the covenant, the judgment that God had brought upon them did not cast them aside. They were still his people, which is why he is sending the prophet. But what is their reaction? They come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But, what's the key here? They listen, they talk nice to you, but what are they after? Their own gain. Now when we hear that, we always think financially, but that's really not what's going on here. It's doing what you want, regardless of what God has said. Oh sure, I'll listen. Oh that's great. Oh, I mean, how do we do it today? Oh, we read parts of Scripture. Oh, God doesn't like it when we do that. Well, that's probably not what He meant. Right? We've read the Bible in our entire life as a culture. Reading is like, God, I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. And so, as we see here, we're like, okay, fine. They have a problem. So now let's go back to chapter 36. Looking at this last part, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments to do them. So we see the context here. He's laying out what's going to happen. We're living in a time in which this part has happened. But what's going to happen? Because we have the Spirit. But look at verse, or chapter 37. 
This is something you're familiar with. It's called the dry bones prophecy. But in chapter 37, verse 1, I want you to watch this. The hand of the Lord came upon me. So this is right after what we just read. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now who asked that question? God did. So I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. That sounds flowery, but he's like, um, you're God. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now let's stop. Sinews, in case you're wondering, are like muscles and ligaments in case you're not familiar with that word. Who's doing this? It was God, right? I will do this. And what will happen? They shall know that I am the Lord. So it sounds like the same thing as say, for my name's sake, then they will know. Okay? Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. So, God has said to his prophet, here's what I'm going to do. But you prophesy to them. Declare what I am going to do to them. Isn't it sad that the living ones, that he had declared what God wanted from them, they disregarded. It takes a bunch of dead ones to listen. Let's go on. Verse 9. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, why did he tell them to prophesy to them? Why didn't God just do it? Think about that. And think about the new covenant. How will they know if no one preaches to them? Okay? Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Who says that? People of Israel. They're in judgment right now. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Now this is, again, this is powerful. Because you had a people who would say the right things, but their hearts, and they were dead. And God said, you see them, prophesy them, and it came together. But it wasn't done. The breath was not in them. And so because the breath was not in them, think about what God did when He first created Adam. He put it all together, and then He breathed the breath of life, the Ruach, the breath of life into Him. 
It was a two-step process. And then they rose up, and it was an exceedingly great army. And it took the man of God to be obedient, to prophesy or declare what God had said. You guys following me somewhere? Are you picking up on, on maybe some trends here? Because there's another one that's cool. But look at Romans 8 again, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. For if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It kind of gives a new perspective on that when you put it in the context of what God was doing with the nation of Israel. And so as we know, is that from multiple verses, that if you are in Christ, then that Spirit dwells in you. And if that Spirit dwells in you, then there is life in you. But it's not just the bringing together of the muscles and the tissues and the ligaments and, (coughs) excuse me, all the other things. It was the breath of life. And we see that that Ruach is used for the word spirit time and time again. That that, the spirit is what brought them to life because they were a bunch of uh, bodies just laying there. I read this to a teenager one time. And he's like, man, there's zombies in the Bible? I guess technically he'd be correct. Not necessarily brain-eating zombies, but whatever. But now think about this. You see, Christ died for us. He was put in the grave three days, and then he resurrected. As you guys heard me as I was led by the Spirit earlier, reading out of 1 Peter, is that this is why our faith and hope in God. The fact that he went into the grave and God brought him out is the key to our salvation. This is, this is why we can have hope in all the promises of God because he's proved it. And what did he say in all these prophecies? Then you will know that I, the Lord, do these things. But there was something that happened after he was resurrected. We know that he appeared to multiple people. We know he had conversations. We know he had meals. And we know that on the, on the road to Emmaus, he hung out with a couple of guys, and he started with the law and the prophets and showed how all of it was about him. And he goes through all of these things. But there's always been this one weird passage that never made sense to me. And I'd read it, and I'm like, God, this is so weird that Jesus did it. It made no sense whatsoever because he's resurrected. So what can he do? Whatever he wants. And it's in John chapter 20. And we've actually read this several times before. But I want you to put this in new light. Verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he said, uh, in his side and then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord and so Jesus said to them again peace to you as the father sent me I also send you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the Holy Spirit prophesy man of God breath enter why did he do that I fully believe he was fulfilling parts of Ezekiel chapter 37 you see it's when the breath of God who did it God did it. So what does this do with us? See, this is another confirmation and interlocking of the Testaments where we're seeing what God has done. So what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, that means we're in Christ, right? That's so powerful. See, as we, as we begin to unlock this stuff, when you understand the covenants, 
you will understand Scripture in a way that you never have before. And when you understand the foundation of the new covenant, which are those that came before, it will open your eyes and it will take the confusion out. And you will begin to walk in the fullness of the power of God that you haven't maybe experienced before. Because now, just like David stood up to Goliath and said, no, 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 you're coming against the armies of the living God. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood toe-to-toe with Nebuchadnezzar and said, listen, if you throw us in, our God will save us. But if you don't, we will never bow to your gods. How can they be so confident? Because they knew God would always do what he said he was going to do. And yet we walk in a covenant based on better promises. And yet we are not that confident. Let's pray. Father, we thank you your word and I thank you Lord that you are opening it up to us in a way that we can understand it and grow and get an aspect of it and apply it to our lives Lord that perhaps we've never had before Lord I thank you that you open our eyes to you and our hearts to you that we can walk in the fullness thereof Lord and that we can be on mission for you each and every day that we are led by your spirit to do your work and to do your will Lord and that everything we do is to bring glory to your name and so Father I thank you that as we leave here today that we enter into the mission as we go, that we're on focus for you, that every day is an opportunity. And Lord, I thank you that you will open up doors for us, that we can share the gospel. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.